0: So if you're looking for more coverage of the world of Japanese wrestling, check out the Emerald Flow Show on the Voices of Wrestling podcast network, available on all of your favorite podcast apps. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To EuroGraps Express. I'm your host, Neil David, and we are back once again to talk about all the exciting events on the British and European wrestling scene. Uh I'm a week late again with an episode, and I, I apologize. I have to say I wasn't going to be late again. Uh but last weekend I ended up going uh to uh Belgium, so the Arden Forest, uh to the Spa Grand Prix, um, to watch that, which is a, a bit of a a life kind of experience that I've wanted to tick off for a long while, you know, go to a Grand Prix. Um, I've been a, an F1 fan since I was a kid. Um, and I remember watching it on ITV with my dad uh, when I was about seven years old, and it's just that he stuck with me. Uh, and the opportunity came up to drive down. There was five lads in a small Range Rover stuff driving down to Belgium, uh, watching cars go by at ridiculous speeds with the cheapest tickets. Uh but it was great it was a brilliant experience. Uh, it's there's a bit of a bit of a guilty pleasure my F one obsession. I don't know, it just doesn't seem to People always seem surprised when they hear that I really like motorsport, but I do. I love F1, MotoGP, British Touring Cars, the works. And I, I don't know. It's just it's one of those things that people don't seem to think fits with me, but, you know, there you go. It is what it is. We all have our surprises. I'm not just obsessed with cheese. Although, I have to say, I've had, uh, last night, I was playing Warhammer with my cousin And we made this sort of like an anti-pasty kind of board. And I had this cheese on it that I picked up. And it was smoked cheddar, but smoked with mustard seeds in it. And it was unbelievable. Just add it with buttermilk crackers and just really simple. Nothing else with it. I didn't end up putting like chutneys or anything on it. Just this mustard creamy... Cheddar. It was like a sharp cheddar, but it had a creamy texture to it. It was it was absolutely lovely. Um, far too good for my cousin. He's a he's a tosspot. Um, bit of news though. Since the last episode, we finally, finally have a match announced for AEW all in in that London. Now I know people are starting to get a little bit panicky about this, and I do kind of get it. You know, you, we bought these tickets and we're excited, and we wanted actually get excited. Do you know what I mean? Because it feels like, you know, in previous issue, uh, previous issues, <laughs> like I'm not writing a fanzine, in uh, previous episodes of the podcast, I've wanted to talk about the show. And actually, what have we really been able to talk about? We've been able to say there is a show. We've been able to talk about um, the attendance and the ticket sales, but not much else. But anyway, they finally announced something. It's going to be Adam Cole versus MJF for the Big Bell. Assuming that that's going to be the main event, I would, you know, you'd think, wouldn't you? Um, and I'm actually quite happy with that. I'm seeing a few people who are grumbling. And I kind of get it from a certain perspective. Because I'm not an Adam Cole fan. I never have been. Back to ROH days. NXT, obviously not. Um, I've never been a big Adam Cole guy. I think he's a bit... He's, he's not quite a jag, but he's not far off, is he? He, he? he just feels like there's not much about him to get excited about in terms of his work, in terms of his charisma. He's fine. You know, I enjoy shouting Adam Cole baby at three o'clock in the morning on a Wednesday as much as everybody, but he's not somebody who... Like, what's the best Adam Cole match? Like, nothing really springs to mind for me. And that, you know, might be a fault. It might have been, you know, with me, it might have been one sprung to mind straight away with you there. But for me, not very much. But this is the most AEW match imaginable, isn't it? Adam Cole versus MJF. MJF is AEW to the core. Adam Cole feels like he's very much part of AEW, um... You know, I, I know that sounds like such a stupid way of articulating it because everyone on the show is part of AEW. But short of having, you know, something elite against FTR, which, because prob- of politics and what have you, probably isn't going to happen, this feels like a very, very AEW match to have. And I know we could say, oh, I wanted this celebration of wrestling and and you know we were saying oh they should book this person from Brit Wrestling they should book this and they should book that actually they've sold a lot of seats based on having an AEW show and it, that's a little bit of a weird realization that I had a few weeks after they went on sale and it sounds like such a weird thing to say doesn't it that hey this AEW show is going to be, you know, aimed at AEW fans. And what better match can you have for the AEW fans than, than that? And if you look at WrestleTix as well, they're obviously keeping track of um of, uh, of of the attendance or what have you. And it's picked up significantly since they announced that match. You know, it's not like people are waiting. Like for me, if I was waiting for a match announcement, that match wouldn't swing me either way, I don't think. It's not something that's going to get me particularly excited. But people who are on the fence about an AEW show, and they are an AEW fan, it clearly has. You know, they're currently up to 78,189, um, although that was the, the number a couple of days ago. They, they're selling like four 500 tickets every couple of days. You know, there's only 5,800 left strong movement, as WrestleTick says, you know. And that puts it as well, Dave's announced officially, this is now uh, a bigger show than WrestleMania 3, you know, <laughs> unless you go by the keyfame number. Can you imagine, is there anything more boring than that conversation? I just made me laugh when I was looking on Wikipedia and it's got the list of professional wrestling shows just to see where it sits. Um, and it's, it's just beaten... WrestleMania 28, which was the scene of rock. Um, And it's coming up to WrestleMania 23. It looks like it's going to beat that. Um, And it's just, you go up to WrestleMania 3, and it's got the 93,000 number, and in brackets, disputed. And I feel like that's one of those conversations. You know, what was the attendance at WrestleMania 3? And I, I could completely recognize that it's important to know what the actual attendance was. You know, it's like TV ratings. I don't talk about them very much. It doesn't really affect my analysis and my view of wrestling. But I recognize that it's important to know these things. I recognize that when we're talking about these big pantheon historic wrestling shows, it's important to know what kind of attendance they did. But to me now, it's like when you're in the office and you call, you say you've got a cheese muffin and someone says, oh, you call it a muffin? I call it a bap. And then Sandra pops up and says, you call it a bap? I call it a roll. And just my eyes glaze over and I just can't have that conversation anymore. Oh, you call it a scone? I call it a scone. I'm not bothered. I, honestly, I couldn't care less. It's like the default conversation, isn't it? You know, and that's what the WrestleMania 3 attendance is. But I guess we can maybe switch that now and have it as the uh, all-in attendance because it's beat it. Um, Have you noticed, Grado seems to be popping up a lot as well. And and a lot of people are talking about, hey, imagine having Grado's entrance at um, at, at Wembley and having everyone sing that Madonna song. Um, Grado's rubbish, I I never ever understood Grado. I get that he's very charismatic, but his his story was is that he wasn't a very good wrestler, but he really loved wrestling and he was there as like a fan. But then you made like I C W made him the champion, and I get why because he drew money and people loved him. But he kind of just belittled everything else because wasn't the whole point of Grado that he wasn't a very good wrestler? I don't know. I never got Grey Doe. But you know what I'm like with crowd sing-alongs. You know what I'm like with people being happy at a wrestling show. Can't be having it, can we? I'll tell you what else has happened since the last um, since the last uh, episode. Impact are touring the UK. They're doing three dates. They're doing Coventry, uh, which is the nearest one to me. I can't remember where the other one is. Um, but they've announced quite a bit A talent as well, that's coming on these shows. They've, uh, sorry, it's Glasgow, Newcastle, Coventry. They're just three days, 26, 27, 28. Um, they've announced as the touring roster, you've got, uh, Eddie Edwards, Diona Paratsu, Moose, uh, Gail Kim, Grado, Joe, <laughs> Joe Hendry. Uh, you've got Alex Shelley. Uh, we've got Brian Myers. um, Tommy Dreamer, Ace Austin, Chris Bay, Frankie. A proper impact roster. And we were talking before about AEW and it being a proper AEW show. They brought a proper impact roster over. And I'm actually very, very tempted to go. My only issue is, is I could get to that Coventry one. But you look at the price of tickets. It's on a Saturday, so I won't have to worry about work and stuff. And it's Coventry, which is about an hour or so away from me. But let's have a look at these ticket prices. Where's it? Where's it gone now? Um, front rows, three hundred and fifty, or one hundred and fifty. Three hundred and fifty if you get like signed bits, like you know, if you go, but I do meet and greet that sort of thing. And it's like one hundred and twenty. A reasonable ticket, a general admission ticket, is th- sold out. Oh, there you go. Shut up, Neil. Bloody hell. Yeah, general Admission sold out. You can get silver tickets now. There's a couple of 80 quid tickets left, which is like row four and five. You, there's row two left and front row left. But wow, they've sold. I mean, look, Impacts always do well in the UK, don't they? You know, we shouldn't really be surprised. I know it's a very different wrestling world these days. But wow, done really well. Another great announcement, Fantastica Mania from RevPro. Like, how great is that? They're doing a UK Fantastica Mania. Um, they've announced the building that it's going to be in, and it's in Manchester, which is my neck of the woods, which I'm very, very excited about. Um, let me go back and find it. It's at the... Um, It's a full-on Fantastica Mania thing. It's a joint show with CMLL. They're calling it Lucha Libre UK. Uh, It's in my neck of the woods. Uh, What's the name of the building? It's in a really weird place. Um, They put it on the website. If you go to cmlluk.com, you can sign up for it and everything. Where's the... Oh my, what's it called? Let me go in the Discord. If you're not in the Discord, you should join it because um, there's a Eurograph Express room. But I know where it is. I just want to get you the right name. Um, the Love Factory. Now, if you think of Manchester City Centre, there's a bit out just outside of Manchester City Centre where Strangeways Prison is. Uh, 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 cheetah Mill. And then there's sort of a canal that runs between that area and town. And it's kind of down there. Um, if you've driven past it, you'll remember it because there's a paint factory, which I recently learned does Warhammer paints. They do the Citadel paints. But it's got a big boat stuck um, in the ground. And if you're from round here, you'll know that really well. Because every time you drove past it as a kid, your dad was legally obligated to point out that if the fact paint factory ever blows up, it would take everything with it in a two and a half mile radius, which would have been our house in Moston when we were kids. Um, there's something about dads that they're, it's like, you know, when they pass like a good bridge and they're legally obligated to point out that it's a fantastic piece of engineering. It's like that sort of thing. Um, so it's in, a, it's in a bit of a funny place. Like someone asked me on the discord, um, is it, uh, who's Bilko, sorry, someone, it was Bilko, who's, um, is it within walking distance of Manchester? And it kind of is if you're staying on that kind of green quarter, northern quarter so, uh, side. If you like your beer, there's a fantastic pub called the Marble Arch. And I think you could walk to it from there, It'd be about a 10-minute walk from there. So if you want to go boozing, you could get in at Piccadilly, work your way up to sort of the Marble Arch, and then you're not that far away but I, nothing's been announced for it in terms of matches, but Fantastica Mania UK, just cool, isn't it? You know, and it, it feels like we're going through these shows. And how great is it that we've got, I mean, this. I'm not even including the Copper Box, we're going to have a genuine AEW show, we've got Impact on tour in the UK, and we've got Fantastica Mania all within a couple of weeks of each other. It just feels like a, a bit of excitement, doesn't it? It feels like it's, it's, a, it's a bit busy, you know and it's nice to be busy um there's another announcement uh, i don't know if i quite put this in the pantheon of, uh, of of the others but TNT are doing their joint weekend with GCW again uh it's going to be uh when is it it's going to be a, again a similar sort of time i think it was about octoberish last year wasn't it um oh it's done that annoying thing yeah it's it's no it's early september it's done that annoying thing on the website you know where it, like jumps around and you go everywhere but they're selling weekender tickets they're 75 quid um you can go higher if you want to be a vip weekender but 75 quid for three shows it's not you know it's not rubbish is it because they're doing uh 15th 16th and 17th um, they've not announced too much yet but last year it was basically a TNT show a GCW show and then a joint show um and I'm assuming they're gonna do something similar uh they've announced a bit of talent so there's no matches but they've announced Jordan Oliver Ali catch Masa slamovich Blake Christian Effie um you know so it's the same sort of thing as last time star by Charlie um it, it, it's it's And I actually, did I enjoy it last year? I don't know. I'd have to go back and listen. I thought it was all right. And I think if you like GCW, then you would like it because it's just, again, an authentic kind of GCW style show. Um, Not necessarily for me. Um, It was better than I thought, though. There's this weird thing about GCW. Someone else said this. I can't remember if it was in the office Slack or the Discord or I've just heard it somewhere. But. GCW book everyone and they book really good people and a lot of people on it can wrestle really well, but they don't actually book themselves properly and push themselves to to wrestle well. So you don't get good matches. So even if they did announce someone really exciting for these shows, it's still kind of hard to get excited about it because it's, it's GCW, isn't it? Anyway, we should probably talk about some wrestling, shouldn't we? Um, So what we're going to do this show, we're going to obviously review the Live at London. Um, I've just watched it. It was on live. It's late Sunday night. Um... And we're going to talk about that. Uh, We're also obviously going to talk about our favourite promotion, Purpose Wrestling. Uh, They had a show that's just gone up on the Patreon. The show was a few weeks ago, but it's just gone up on the Patreon to watch. And we're going to do a full preview, I think, of the Copper Box. Because I think pretty much all the matches have been announced. We might get a couple of bits and pieces. But we'll check in with Rob Reed and see where we're up to with attendance. And we'll break those matches down and get excited about them. Because let's... We're on the road now to Wembley, aren't we? We're on the road to that London. Alright, so let's go down south and talk about Rev Pro. Alright, so we're coming off an epic encounter at York Hall. A uh, little bit of a mixed bag, that show. It was generally an easy show to watch, but there was a few story things, a few booking decisions that I'm not quite sure I was au okay fait with. So... It's always interesting going into these live at London's, uh, right after a York Hall show because we're really going to see now, aren't we? What what the impact of those decisions were. Um, And really, they're in a very, very tricky position because we're building up to a copper box. You know, not a copper box, the copper box. And it, it, it's a tricky one for Red Pro because it doesn't feel like wheels are spinning like you would expect building up to a big show. They're not really pushing it in a way that I would have thought they're not building up to it in terms of storyline. Like I would have thought, um, I assume because they piggybacked off the back of, um, AEW so quickly. And it's sort of, maybe they have things already planned. You know, I, I don't know what the lead out is. Um, but anyway, let's talk about the show. Because actually, generally, like always with the Live at London's, it was a pretty good show. It was a very easy watch. It was three hours, but it, it didn't feel like three hours. You know, it, it was everything on it was good, and everything had a good clip to it. And it, it sounds like when I say that about Red Pro, I'm always damning it with faint praise by saying things like that. But I'm really not. Like, these shows are just good, solid shows. I think... Red Pro's hit rate, in terms of just being entertained, is higher than pretty much any promotion in the world, like they don't hit the same highs as an AEW would, for example but they never hit the lows that they do, you know, those some of those Dynamites recently have just been dirges, haven't they, Whereas you're not going to get that with Red Pro, you know you're always going to have a certain standard, and I think that says a lot, you know that is a genuine compliment I think, that shouldn't be ignored um, Harrison Bennett against Leon Slater was the first one. Um, I really like Harrison Bennett, you know. And it's, it's one of those where I first saw him working the Welsh promotions and he was doing chaos and what have you. And I thought he was all right. He was one of those wrestlers that you watch and go, yeah, he's good. But he wasn't someone that you thought, oh, yeah, he's got potential. You know, because that happens a lot, doesn't it, on the British scene. You'll see a wrestler and you, they might not be great straight away. But you've got that little thing about him. But with him, I, I didn't really see it. But it's just something about his work in Red Pro recently that's just really got me. And just the way he carries himself here. His entrance was just so cocky and, and self-assured. And he's got something about him that, that, that is inherently unlikable as a heel, in a good way, as a heel. And, yeah, he, he just really, really impressed me. But... Nothing can compare at the minute to how Leon Slater feels. You know, he's coming out to huge babyface reactions. It feels like he's right on the precipice of blowing up. And I know he's coming off um, the York Hall match which I thought, you know, we I said to you, dinner the Dambalone match, I thought was absolutely fantastic. It's going to be really high up for me. Um, oh, sorry, the Dambalone match, sorry, the, the Will Ospreay match. It's going to be really high up when you're thinking of the best British matches of the year. It feels like there's just something exciting and a buzz about him that's just... You, you can't replace that, can you? The, the idea of somebody coming up for the first time and about to do something exciting. And that's why it's really important that he gets it right as well, because it's the old toothpaste in the tube, and I isn't it you know you, once it's done it's done uh and it, it it feels like he's on the precipice of doing something amazing so you know we'll talk about the copper box later on um great cockiness from him in this now there was a spot in this that he was, he was a really good match you know he was he's kind of like you'd expect 15 minutes action packed really good but there was a bit in this that stayed with me where harrison bennett jumped to the outside and was cockily looking at the camera and he was kind of being filmed from below like up and you could just see Leon Slater running towards him he he dives feet first between the top of the middle rope and boots Harrison Benny right in the back of the head and the visual of that shot looked amazing such a great spot it looked like it absolutely killed I just, Unbelievable stuff! It it looks so so good. Um, the hang time on Leon Slater's work. You know, this is why it was really nice to have this match because you kind of know he's it's an opener. It's against Harrison Bennett, who's who's further down in the card than Leon is, and you know Leon's going to win. But it just let you kind of enjoy his work and really appreciate things like the hang time on his drop kicks, just unbelievable. I would say this was really good for Harrison Bennett, actually, because it established him and his style quite a bit. He's, he was very brutal in his style with this one, very hard-hitting, like, you know, Leon Slater would be flipping around, and then Harrison Bennett would do that great thing where he'd punctuate with a great clothesline or something. You know, like, he'd, he'd bring things to a close and, like, little runs and things with a bit of power. Kind of like Connor Mills does when he's against a faster wrestler. And I really like that. thought that was really good. The only, the only thing with Harrison Bennett is and I know, again, this isn't a significant match but I think it's just something to be aware of is that he's kind of doing that heel sadistic cackle. You know, when he really hurts someone, he do the <laughs> kind of laugh and look. And I just, I, I don't like that character any anyone. You know, it's, it, it's, it, it's a weird way to behave, you know, like you're Seth Rollins or something, just a really bizarre way to act. Um, so I, I just, I think he just needs to be really careful with that kind of thing. Cause it feels like if, you know, if you were a wrestler, it would be really easy for you to go down that road. And I don't think it, it fits anybody and it didn't really fit him either as well. Um, Slater got really aggressive at the end of this. Really aggressive, and I like that. You know, like his blue thunder bomb had a, had a real slam to it that I thought was excellent. Um, I've written in my notes for this match, and I, I don't know why. I've written, do we trust them? That's weirdly ominous, that, isn't it? I've completely forgotten why I've written that down. Do we trust them? don't know. Who am I doubting? I don't know. I feel like everyone in my life, I, I, I trust them. So I don't, I don't know what's going on there. Uh, next up, we had Greedy Souls against a returning Velocities. Now, here's a bit of a controversial opinion about the Velocities. I don't think they've done their best work in the UK. And I've always enjoyed the matches. And when they come over for Great British Tag League and they have the, they have the couple of matches against Aussie Open... I never thought they were all that. It was a weird one because when they came over and had these matches... Because obviously when they did it in Australia, it was five stars from loads of people. Everybody loved these matches they were having. And that was kind of the standard that you were judging them by. So I feel bad that I'm judging them by this ridiculous standard of essentially saying, have some of the greatest matches of all time. Otherwise, you know, I'm going to be disappointed. But I do just generally feel a little bit disappointed by the velocities when they come over here. Um, But I think what was great about this match is... The pairing, I suppose, you know, as, as Andy likes to remind us, um, it's styles that make matches, and you've got greedy souls, a big bruising heel team against the speedy fast babyfaces and that's just an absolute classic combination isn't it, and I think a, a real great opportunity to have a very, very angry greedy souls, you know, they come off a loss, they've just lost the tag straps, um, have a little bit of fire about, they want to get back in the game, and I think that, that, that's really cool, I think the problem with this match is and it was it was fine. Um It was very traditionally structured, which is you know, as you do, the baby face had rung rings around the the, the, the heavy heavier weight kind of um heels and you know they have the big hope spots and the hot tags and stuff, which is great, you know, I'm a big advocate for just classic structures of things like this. The problem was it was just a, quite sloppy in parts um, it was like they weren't quite on the same page. And I'm starting to see this a little bit with Greedy Souls. Is that when they're against faster tag teams, it just seems to fall apart a little bit. You know, they never seem to be able to do things quite up to the speed of their opponents, if that makes sense. and I know I'm explaining that in a very clumsy way. But yeah, there was just lots of clumsy little spots in this. Um that being said, I mean, there's just lots of satisfying things, you know, like Paris to Silva have been running rings around Brendan White, and then Brendan are just smashing with a power slam or something. You know, and just like we were saying before about the Harrison Bennett-Leon Slater thing, it's just it's a classic way of structuring things that just just really works. Um, Andy was great, you know, big power bomb on an apron and all this, and they sort of told the story in the end that the velocities just snuck it. Um, and I assume they're here for Great British Tag League as well. I mean, that's soon, isn't it? It's that actually booked in yet? Yeah. I know it's usually around now. Um, I mean, God forbid, they're not going to announce cards, are they <laughs> I'm looking for like, Rev Pro to see if they have announced cards. You know, I don't think they've announced everything for the uh, 11th anniversary show yet. So, you know, the idea that we're going to get a card announced for that, but, you know, who knows. Uh, but, yeah, this this match was pretty good, you know. Uh, it, it, like I say, pile driver on an apron is just emotive, isn't it? It's always going to be something to get into. Next up, we have Dan Maloney against Zack Knight. And I'm not going to do the Zack Knight court thing this way. I know it, it says, as I said, I, it seems like every time we talk about Zack Knight, we've kind of got to take him to Red Pro Court and decide whether or not he's, he's, he's good or whether or not he should be there and, and all that business. Um... I don't want to do that with this. Because actually, I think this spot in the card is really good for him. First of all, he came out looking like a million bucks. He looked great. Like he had proper definition in his arms. He looked like he'd be... You know, the kind of muscles you get from actually doing stuff. You know, not like a bodybuilder gets muscles to, you know, the sake of building muscles, he's got it through, like, grafting and fighting on the streets, you know, which is excellent. Or, you know, blade drives, or whatever real men do. You know, plumbing, you know, pull-ups on bars in parks, and I don't know. Um, But yeah, this match was a proper fight. You know, Dan Maloney's just brilliant at that, isn't he? And I think Dan Maloney fits this new Bullet Club so well. I think the Bullet Club are the, the most exciting they've been and what I like about Dan Maloney being in the Bullet Club is if you think of that like middle generation of Bullet Club it felt like there were guys that joined the Bullet Club suddenly went out and sort of changed who they were got a million t-shirts printed They, they kind of got the impression There are some, I'm not going to name any names because I know you're going to be thinking of one, but you know that thing in football of the full kit wanker? Like a grown man who wears a full kit. He wears the shirt, the shorts, and the socks. Some wrestlers join the Bullet Club and have the full kit wanker vibe to them, whereas Dan Maloney doesn't do that. Dan Maloney's just the same fighting bruiser that he always has been, and he's let the Bullet Club come to him, and it it works really well. Um, Like, this match was an absolute scrap everything looked like it hurt just the punches and the chops and i like i say zach looked the best he's ever looked i think this is probably really up there for me in terms of zach night matches i thought he was great um just big bruises chopping each other and i think that's absolutely satisfying um bit of a weird ending to this one, and I don't know if it was intentional, and actually, I don't think it kind of... It, I don't know, so for me, whether something's intentional or a botch doesn't always matter if it works, but with this one, it was basically a gore, so he didn't win using the Driller Killer, he won using the gore, and it looked like Zack Knight was supposed to kick out to me, uh, but he didn't quite kick out, or the referee counted a bit quick, and you know, the referee sort of raised his hands to do two, but the bell had already gone and then, like, changed it to a three, I think. Um, they might have just been telling the story that, that Dan Maloney snuck it, you know, just to keep Zack Knight alive. But, I don't know, it felt like a bit of a mistake to me. But that's something you can go back to, isn't it? Zach Knight can feel robbed, you know? And even if it's not a case of having a match with Dan Maloney because, you know, Dan Maloney's got other things on, you can... Have that feeling of him being robbed brought to other matches, and that that could work really well. Really weird promo at the end. Um, Maloney got the mic, and it, it it was the theme of it was very much like everybody wants to know why I did what I did to Leon Slater, and using those kind of WWE cadences and WWE beats, and I just thought that didn't really work for me until Leon Slater came out and was Leon Slater you know because the actual the actual idea of the promo was great the point was that Dan Maloney was saying that Nobody knew who you were, Leon, until I came along. You know, and I got, you were getting too big for your boots. You know, you thought you were my equal, but you're not. You remember who put you where you were, sort of thing. You were nothing until I came along. And then Leon Slater comes out and essentially says, it's the other way around. You were on your way out, sunshine. You know, you were this, didn't know what to do after WWE. You were all over the shop. You were sniffing at Will Ospreay's skirt. And it was teaming up with me and being with me and being around me that made you relevant and exciting because I'm this big hot prospect that everybody wants to be around. So a great idea for me, like, you know, building to the match at Copper Box, just a fantastic natural little story. Um, Just the problem was, there was just a few too many WWE beats in there for want of a better expression that just didn't serve the story or didn't really make any sense to me. Um, But yeah. Still, you know, great match, I thought. Really good match. Next up, we had, as he says, uh, going to the wrong page. Uh, Next up, we had Sunshine Machine against Subculture. Ooh, Sunshine Machine. Feels like an unpopular opinion, really, that no one else seems to share. But I'm kind of sick of them. I don't know what it is, because everything they do is really good. And they have really good matches. And I think if you've not seen a Sunshine Machine match and you were to just watch this, you would really enjoy it. Um, but I feel like I see the same match a lot with Sunshine Machine. Um, and I, I don't know if it's just a feeling. I don't know if that's fair, particularly. You know, you might want to, um, you, know, you could probably think of examples to sort of disagree with that, dispute it. It just feels a bit weird. What I thought was interesting about this as well is that Gadge, the stopwatch guy on Twitter, um, he posts results and, and things like that. And he was live tweeting it. And he said, Undisputed British Tag Team Championship match. And TK Cooper has quote tweeted him and said, then we quietly got told it wasn't a title match. Then we didn't get an introduction. Nice to be back with a sad face. So whether he's frustrated with his spot at Red Pro or not, or whether this is some kind of... Like, that that doesn't feel like a work, does it? Like, it'd be a weird work, that. Because you're arguing about Andy Quilden, who's, you know, he's not a, that kind of work shoot thing. I don't... They, they do they do it, but kind of very kayfabe don't they, Red Pro? So it's, that just is a bit of a weird tweet. Um... The match was fine, you know. The match was really exciting. You know, manjus is obviously a great wrestler and they won me round at the end. You know, they just, with the sheer speed and athleticism of, of everything that I'm seeing, I just don't know what it is. Subculture are just kind of hard to get excited about and Sunshine Machine are the same. I, I, I wish I could articulate it. Mainly because it's my job as a podcaster and wrestling critic to articulate why I feel like I do. But it just, it feels just a bit strange. When I watch them, I, I don't know what it is. Like you could say Sunshine Machine against somebody, Velocities, for example. And I just, I go, okay. And then I'd watch the match and really enjoy it. I'm sh- and, you know, give it four stars. But just the prospect of it just doesn't really do much for me. Um, Velocity uh, Sub- uh, subculture one um, sunshine um, sorry, too many S's here uh, subculture one and velocities came out and challenged which you know will be a great match I'm sure um, but just this match itself I was just a little bit not in love with I suppose okay next up we've got Alex Windsor against High End. Um, tell you what, there was someone in the crowd for this flipping X screaming over the entrance, uh, like the introduction I'd hate to be sat I'd hate to be sat next to whoever that was because they were flipping loud um, pay your money, chant what you want I guess, um, it was Alex Windsor against Hyam. I can beat around the bush here, or I could just come out and say it, heel Alex Windsor sucks I really don't like this heel, Alex Windsor, and it's not even that heel, Alex Windsor sucks. It's that's what it is. It's this heel, Alex Windsor. She's come out. She comes out and she's smirking at the crowd. And she's a baddie now, and I don't care about the audience I, Do you know what who's saying about the Dan Maloney and the WWE beats? This is the same. This is how WWE do heels. You know, I've turned my back on the Rev Pro universe kind of vibe to it. And it just... It, Alex Windsor's better than this. Alex Windsor is a top-class worker. And she could do a better heel than this, I'm convinced. I just... You know, the idea of turning her back on people at York Hall and suddenly smashing people with chairs. It's too corny for me, that. I just don't think that works at all. Um... I have to say, though, out of this match, that Hayen was fantastic. I think Hayen's having a great run. I've never really been a fan of Hayen. I thought she was fine. Like, do you remember when she was in the mix with people like Giselle Shaw and um, Zoe Lucas? and She was always, and even with this one, this feud, you know, with like Danny Luna and Sky Smithson, she always felt like the third wheel you know, the least interesting part of that. But actually, with this little run, she's been really good. And she was really aggressive here. She, you know, the match was really good. Came out of nowhere. Still a little bit clunky at times. But, you know, she the story got over and she came out and just fought and fought. And everything had a little bit of violence to it. And, you know, really, really good. And then the ending came. And as we said, Alex Windsor is now playing this heel. So what she had to do at the end is do this weird ref distraction of kind of get the apron, fold it over, and then while the referee was distracted sort of the apron out, grab a belt and smash Hyyen with it and win. Now not only is that a bad ending anyway, it's just it's just a boring ending to a match. Alex Windsor doesn't need to do that. She's been established as a fighting champion who only lost the belt through injury. She's already established herself as a world-class wrestler in the Red Pro world, in this sort of kayfabe arena, if you like. She doesn't need to resort to that kind of thing. And the fact it's a belt spot, which we hate. And then you've also got the fact that the referee just looked like an absolute Idiot. It was such a stupid thing to be distracted by and to miss the belt shot that it doesn't make Alex Windsor look clever. It doesn't make her look like she's outsmarted someone. It makes her look like she's outsmarted a baboon. I just do not like what they're doing with Alex Windsor at all. And the promo she delivered at the end of this, rambling on and on and on, I don't get what she was doing in the promo. Just seemed to ramble for ages and ages and ages. And it's such a shame because she was a great seller in this. You know, the work was so good for so much of it. I I just really didn't understand what, what they were doing here. I really don't. I don't understand why this is better. Than Alex Windsor just wrestling in a bit more of a bullyish, cockyish way. You don't have to do that, do you know. It's just bizarre, isn't it? That that, that every now and then, Red Pro just dro- tell brilliant stories for the most part, and then just drop the ball like this. Like I don't. The question I always have for Andy, and I've mentioned this on the show before, is you've got to think, why is this better than just doing the obvious? It's like he doesn't want to do the obvious story, but then does something that's just worse. I don't understand. I I really don't understand at all. Main event time. It was a 10-man tag elimination match. I like this idea. You know, it doesn't... I, I think the problem with life at London is that they often just do a load of Singles matches, maybe a tag match or two in there. And they don't really do things like this, but they want to sort of treat it a bit more Corrick and Harley and do these 10-man tag eliminations. I'm into that. Just not every time, but just to mix things up a little bit, I think it's a pretty decent idea. Uh, It was Callum Newman, Wild Boar, Jordan Breaks and Connor Mills uh, and Trent Seven against Robbie X, uh, Michael Oku, Shah Samuels, uh, Luke Jacobs and RKJ. So... You've essentially got heels against baby faces, but then having Jordan breaks on the heel team, which is a little bit weird, a little bit of a strange way of doing things. Um, But essentially here, you've got the male stars of Red haven't you? You've got 10 blokes. You know, I know you've got Leon Slater and Dan Maloney further down the card and what have you, and you've not got Will Ospreay there. But you've got, I mean, what a roster. Like, do some random matches with that. You know, um, Oku against Jordan Breaks, or Luke Jacobs against Wild Boar. You know, names that aren't even connected at all, and you could think of great programs to do. You know, just the the depth of the roster is fantastic. Um, It's kind of cool, like an old school Survivor Series thing, isn't it, this match? I don't know what it is, it's really weird, but really cool. Uh, you know, it started off really exciting with all the baby faces doing a big dive, and, you know, Shah did his big moonsault out to the outside, and lots of great little bits of chemistry here that we've had established as well. You know, I'm talking about the new matches there, but you've got Mills and Conor X. Mills and Connor X. uh, uh, Mills and Robbie X having a little bit of a to-do that was great. And then you'd have Newman against Robbie X. In fact, Robbie X against anyone. That was the thing that I took away from this, is that Robbie X spent a lot of time in the ring. And he was pretty much the best one throughout. There was a Luke Jacobs uh, wild boar thing that was just really exciting and powerful. And and I liked it. Um, There was a brilliant bit. And it's kind of like, I didn't even think of the Mills-Oku thing, but there was a bit where Mills and Oku just kind of looked at each other for a bit, and then on the apron, and Mills punched every member of Oku's team and knocked them off the apron apart from Oku. And they just kind of looked at each other. And it was just a little moment. There was no big thing between Mills and Oku in this match. It was just a little moment that recognises that, okay, we're not telling this story right now, but this story hasn't gone away. It wasn't resolved. And I, I like that. You know, you've got something you can go back to. Because obviously Oku's champion at the minute, isn't he? Um, Trent Seven uh, did, wrestled in the Enfield style i.e. not doing anything uh, for most of this match, uh, which I thought was 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 preferable, to be honest with you, because I don't think he's very good. Um, he's still coming out with the belt. You know, he's robbed the belt and he's kept it. I just, th- that story's kind of a bit trash, I think. I don't really get it. Um, but what stood out to me quite starkly on this, and something that we've kind of been moving towards for a while, is RKJ. RkJ feels as cold as ice, and I think it's Red Pro's fault. I understand there was the injury that had him vacate the title. Well, well, his brother lost it. His uncle lost it for him. whatever. He had to lose the title. But I don't think that's why he feels ice cold. He felt red hot building up to that match with Ospreay. He beat Osprey, and it felt like a big moment. And then they just put him in weird tags. They had him do comedy stuff with Curtis Chapman. And then he got injured. And they brought him back. And they're not putting him. Like, say, why is he not in the Dan Maloney kind of position? Where he's having exciting singles matches. You know they bogged him down in the 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 Zack Knight matches, which were always going to have a ceiling. That's what it is with Zack Knight. He doesn't have to go to wrestle court anymore because we know he's good. He's just good with a ceiling. I just th- I don't know why they weren't just having work rate matches with Zack Knight. Those main event work rate style matches, and the crowd just didn't react to him here. And when he came in and started beating people up, it just didn't feel exciting. Jordan Brakes felt more exciting. You know, Jordan Brakes was eliminated fairly quickly, but he had a good bit in the middle where he was just tying people up in knots and, and doing, you know, his his throwback world of sports style wrestling, catch-as-catch-can stuff. And he felt more exciting than RKJ. And there was a time when we were saying that RKJ was going to be one of the biggest stars of all time in Britain. You know, I remember writing in reviews and saying about RKJ that Red Pro needs to make the most of him now because he's going to end up in AEW or New Japan. And now with sort of 2023 eyes and looking at the way he's perceived here, like that just sounds ridiculous to me. You know, it felt like he was moving in that direction then it's just fallen off a cliff, fallen off a precipice. It's just a shame, really. Because, you know, think back to those Robbie X matches he was having. and just Great matches. Different matches. Violent feeling matches. Felt like he was a wrestler on another level. And now he just feels... Easy. I forget about him. Really, really weird. He eliminated Jordan Brakes as well. And like I say, I think Brakes came out better. Um... I'll tell you something that did really, really um, work me a little bit here. Is when people are making these little jibes at Trent Seven. You know, they'll say, like, oh, you're not in the WWE now, bitch, and stuff. And it's, Michael Oku did the uh, not, not, not the way. What did he say in his promo uh, against Trent Seven? Oh, what was the phrase? uh hang your head in shame that was it and they're having these little digs at him and i know that it's a work and i know that they're probably trent seven's idea aren't they he's probably saying hey use this you know he's a old school worker but i can't help but pot for it i just think it was really really funny uh oku eliminated rkj accidentally which I, i didn't really like uh Jacobs battered Trent Seven, which is great. And as much as I can criticise Trent Seven, his selling is just something else. Um Yeah, and then you know Seven wins in the end and Levi Muir comes out and attacks people, and now he's teaming with Trent Seven, and it's kinda hard to get excited about that match at the copper box, really. But overall, a decent enough show. Like I say, an easy watch. I like the fact they're doing these 10-man tags a little bit different. But the maloney Zach Knight match was really good. The women's match was great until the end. Uh, Tag match was good. Lots of interesting stuff there. Classic live at London. Things are moving forward slightly. But they're moving forward to the Copper Box. So let's do a preview of the Copper Box. Okay, so the copper box. Um, as I say, Rob Reed, uh, Wrestling One Hundred and One, uh, former British Roundtable host, is keeping up with the numbers. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at the R Double, um, and on other apps as well. I'm assuming. I'm a bit on the fence about these other apps. I don't know whether to, you know, because obviously Twitter or X, and I'm not, obviously not going to go into that rubbish. But it's kind of dying a little bit. I don't know if I'm just going to call it a day with social media. You know, like I'm getting the blue sky and the threads and things, and I know one of them's going to end up becoming dominant, and I should sort of get. But I'm thinking maybe this should just be the end of social media for me because nothing good ever comes of them. Um, but yeah, he's put he's at the R double on Twitter. Um, they've passed the 2,500 ticket mark, um, so now it's officially their most attended show. Um, they've made more than 150,000 pounds on the door. Um, so in terms of numbers, they've sold 2,608. Um, and again, these are estimates, but we can, they're going to be pretty accurate. You know, he's, he's literally counted the seats. So, he's, he, you know, th- this is the, the best we're going to get, but I think we could take them fairly solidly. That does mean there's 4,300 seats remaining. So again, we're still in that little bit of a pickle where it's, depending on how they set the building up, it might feel empty. Because I'm on the upper bowl. I'd have thought they'd have just sold the lower bowl and not the upper bowl. But unless they're going to move me down... Like, I remember when I used to work at a theatre when I was a student, if shows didn't sell very well... um. Did, I've got a story about this. If shows didn't sell sell very well, they'd like close the gallery, um, and like you know distribute the tickets into the circle and the stalls. My little story about that is I used to work at the opera house in Manchester when I was a student. So this was like around two thousand and six, something like that. And do you remember around then? Take that came back, and Boyzone came back, and there was this kind of nostalgia. These you know mid twenties. Uh, like late 20s girls were going and seeing the boy bands and stuff they used to love when they were kids and it became a bit of, like the nostalgia thing kind of became a bit of a business Um and E17 got on board with that Um the famous E17 of the big coats at Christmas fame and they booked the opera house where I was working and I was the doorman at the time and The doorman, I wouldn't like a bouncer. If you know me in real life, you'd know that's ridiculous. Um, I'd just open the doors and I'd lead people around and I'd put the fire alarms on, that sort of thing. Um, And E17 were there. and They'd not done very well. So what we ended up doing was closing the gallery in the circle and having everyone in the stalls. So what that meant was is when E17 wanted a private bar to drink in, they went in the circle bar, which is the back of the circle. And it was my job to go and get them and lead them down the stairs, because it's kind of these stairs running down either side of the stage, and then there's a door to get backstage that's on a code. So it was my job to go and get E17 from this bar. So I went and got E17, and to get to this door, you have to pass down the side of the auditorium, so all the girls started cheering and screaming and going, oh, E17, and, you know, oh, Tony, how are you, and all that business. And they're cheering. And when we got through the door, I turned to E17 and said, not at a reception like that for a while. Meeting me, like, as a joke, like, the idea was, is I never had a reception like that. You know, and I've never had a, a, a 500 women scream at me in... In, in desire. Like that's I've I've never I've rarely had one woman scream at me in desire. Um, you know, so the idea of that many is is is, is, is that, that that was the joke I was making. But E seventeen thought I was taking the mick out of them, saying, Oh, you've not had a reception like that for a while basically making out that they were down and out. Um so E seventeen hit the roof, you know, as a collective there was four of them i think brian uh one of them wasn't there um and and two others i can't remember they were, they were going mental and like the manager was complaining to my manager and i got drawn into the office and i had to retell this story and uh, I, ne- I nearly got sacked for for i nearly got sacked for not taking the mick out of e17 anyway um so, yeah, we're going to preview the, the show, aren't we? So, that's my E17 story. So, tickets-wise, mixed bag, as we've said before. It's it's doing well in theory, but in practice, I don't know. You know, what's it going to be like when we get there? Um, but they've announced, I think, pretty much everything for the show. So, we've got JJ Gale against Kosei Um JJ Gale, I think, is great. And I like the fact they've got this opening match... Whether he could do something great with Fujita, I don't know. Um, I'm not obsessive New Japan anymore. So at the minute with the G1, I'm watching the matches that are recommended to me. So I'm watching like the ELP Osprey match, that sort of thing. Um, But I've never really seen anything about Kosei Fujita that's got me excited. So I I don't know. We'll, We'll have to see on that one. We've got Dan Maloney against Leon Slater. And I think that's going to be fantastic. Because with this story that they're telling of this very real friction between them. Dan Maloney being brutal. We know Leon Slater just absolutely gives everything. And you're telling me he's going to come out at Red Pro's biggest ever show. And not absolutely kill himself. You know, same with Dan Maloney as well, to be fair. You know, that leap he does over the... um, over the turnbuckle and in front of tons of people, is going to be fantastic. And you know Dan Maloney's going to want to put Leon Slater over as well. You know, it's just, it's just going to, I think that's probably the match I might be the most excited about after the obvious one. After Obviously, Tagagi against Osprey is the one, isn't it? But as a Rev Pro guy, that's not a Rev Pro match, Tagagi against Osprey, But as a Rev Pro guy, Maloney versus Slater is one that I'm really excited for. Next up, get this one: El Fantasma and Shibata against Finlay and Gabe Kid. So Gabe Kid has got Shibata; he's got him in a tag match. I'm going to see Shibata wrestle, and this is such a weird one for me because that again, you don't want to piss in people's cornflakes. And if I'm excited for it, I know people are excited for it. Um, there's just something about Shibata. That I was talking to the office Slack about this, and the best way I could describe it is, if you tell me I'm going to watch a Shibata match in 2023 on tape, I don't really get excited for it. And obviously, that's not a reflection of the amazing work. He's one of my all-time favourite wrestlers. You know, talking to Rob Reed before, he was doing the Wrestling 101, and I wrote about um, Okada Shibata for that, because it's my favourite match ever. Ever. Um... But if you tell me I'm going to watch a tape match from 2023, I'm not excited. If you tell me I'm going to see him live, though, that changes things. You know, I'm going to see... And obviously with the history he's got with Red Pro and all that, I think it's great. I think El Phantasmo's firing at all cylinders. Finley's the best he's ever been, you know. He's not my favourite wrestler in the world, but, you know, I'm excited to see him. A Game Kid's Game Kid, you know. I think that's going to be a really interesting match to see. We've got Tomahiro Ishii against Luke Jacobs. That's a match, right? I know, again, Ishii's not quite what he was, but Jacobs, that's, you know, those two. That's what Jacobs is working towards, essentially, isn't it? He's being like Tomahiro Ishii. And having those two, have. that's going to be a great match. That's going to be a sleeper match, I think. That maybe people who don't follow Red Pro as closely as we do aren't going to be that excited about. But actually, when it happens, woof. Then we've got Zack Sabre Jr. against Ricky Knight Jr. And I know that's going to be a good match. But the Ricky Knight Jr. thing, it's hard to get excited, isn't it? Takake versus Osprey. we don't need to talk about that one. That's got a potential to be the match of the year. That just has match of the year potential written all over it. So, you know, let's see. That's one of those, anyway, you just sit there with your arms folded knowing you're going to watch a great match. You know, you don't have to go and you don't have to have kind of a, any kind of thought about it or any kind of, you just, you could be comfortable in the fact you're going to see a great match. And then the main event is Oku against Trent Severed, which I think is going to stink. I really do. Or maybe not stink. I think it's going to be fine. But you could never disregard Michael Oku. That's the big thing, isn't it, with him? That he can turn water into wine, that guy. Like, he's there's just something about him that's so effortless and brilliant that I think he could even turn this weird, half-told, rubbish story into something good. So, very excited for the Copper Box. I think it's going to be a great show. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there on my own as well. My wife doesn't fancy that one. So, if you are about a loose end of the Copper Box in the interval or something, drop me a DM on Twitter and I'll, I'll come over and say hello. Um, but that's Copper Box. Let's get to our favourite indie promotion. Let's go to the library and see what purpose they are up to. So we're off to the library then to talk about Purpose Wrestling. They had their guerrilla radio show. Um, we'll always talk about Purpose Wrestling on this show. I think if they do a show, I want to talk about it. And I know there's probably other stuff like GWF that I, I could be talking about instead. But there's just something about Purpose that I absolutely love. It's just something about the passion and the love that they got for wrestling that just comes through. And I, I want to talk about it. So we're going to go and have a look at Guerrilla Radio. Um, it started off with the 8-7 against um, Chapman and Will Caven. It was the younger Chapman. What's he called? I can't remember his name. Um, the 8-7 looked great. You are know, cool as anything. Do you know what I like about the 8-7? And this was uh, Remy and Wavy. Um I like the fact that they look natural. Like, they don't do the weird pro wrestling poses. They just sort of come out and are naturally intimidating and naturally cool looking. Uh, Naturally have, like, a great swagger about them. And I think in this day and age, it Kind of, so I sound like an old man, then. But these days, that kind of just stands out, doesn't it? When someone's been stripped of all the pro wrestling bollocks, and they just are cool, intimidating-looking people. Because Remy, I've never seen before. And he looked great. and He was really impressive here. Like He's not a wrestler I've ever come across. I think he's relatively new to the game. And just the way he was dropping these huge bombs. The way he was working. Was absolutely incredible. And more what he could do with his face as well. Like he dropped this huge Bliger bomb. And his eyes had just been wide with brutality and anger. And came across brilliantly. Came across. Looked like a million bucks. Um... Caven, a little, I'm a little bit funny about. Um, didn't really like Will Caven's work in Red Pro, um, and I was always a bit conflicted about it because I think Will Caven is a really good worker. My problem with Will Caven was always his presentation. So he feels a bit like a pound shop, Seth Rollins. He's a bit edge lordy with the trunks and and. Uh, he comes across as a bit of a creator wrestler he does the weird cackling and the the weird heel stuff that we were talking about before but when he works he's a much better worker than that and I think if he changed his presentation slightly he'd be really exciting and interesting but he doesn't he just kind of pigeonholes himself a little bit I guess which I think is, is, is a real shame um this match was really good. You know, I, I thought, like I say, Remy was really impressive. The gut wrench he did was was great. His drop kick is great. And this is what I love about Purpose is it feels like you're always finding a new wrestler. You know, you come away from every show thinking, I've never heard of that person or I've seen the face or the name from Twitter, but now I've seen them and I get them and they get time to do things in a really good light. Um, so, yeah, Remy's going to be one I'm going to be looking at in future. Uh next up we had Ollie Peace against us. <laughs> um Ollie Peace is he's he's a rapper now. Um he he got on the microphone at the start and he's saying, you know, things like Don't get it twisted, y'all. And you know, he's got this this library's gonna be shaking. Boom, boom, shake, shake the room and stuff, and just a very, very bizarre. B- thing you know i think he's done it before hasn't he i think he's been the rap master before but i've not seen it for a long time i don't really remember it anyway um because ollie piece is one of those people who i get he's been around longer than you think you know he's he's done sort of like wrestle force stuff for like he's been around like 10 15 years um Just sort of places that nobody really watches. But he's a little bit of an unsung hero, I think, because he's against Sander Bryant, who's clearly an inexperienced wrestler, but has got a little bit of excitement about him. And he was just... You could tell he was leading him through it. You know, there was a few sort of he-talks-too-much, botch mania moments where you could just see him directing the match. But I think Ollie Peace is one of those wrestlers who... I don't know, I think he's a little bit underrated. I think he's 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 a bit of a veteran that would would fit in in a few more rosters than he perhaps gets the opportunity to work for if that makes any sense. But yeah, yeah, really good, great selling. You know, as he was running the match, I thought Xander was good. Lots of high flying stuff doesn't quite have the dedication to what he's doing at times you know doesn't quite let things breathe in the way he should do but he feels a bit backyard but he's very inexperienced you know what I mean it's like i'm not gonna labor that too much because wrestlers like him should be in in places like um purpose because they do they're the best place to go for people like you know young wrestlers because they develop them really well uh, Rex Armstrong is having a baby, um, so he's retiring, so they did a Battle Royal Gauntlet thing uh, with his mate J.J. Lynch as the referee, and this was a bit of fun, you know, um, you know quick counts and things like that, and you know, Francisco would come out and get visual pins and get eliminated. You know, Josh Hugh James came out looking good uh, but touched the ref and got eliminated on a disqualification because he did like the two count and then it didn't go for the three. And Josh James is like... I'm ah, sorry, um, JJ Lynch is like, ah, really hurt my hand. Uh, you know, so Josh James would grab it to look at it and go, right, you've touched the referee, you're out. You know, it's, it's that kind of comedy. Um, which actually kind of worked in this situation it's not necessarily my sort of thing but i, I thought it, it really worked um mark true came out for this and mark true was in my top 10 matches of the year last year um the only person who would put him anywhere close i think in terms of, not because people don't like him but because you know no one's seeing him and I really think it's mark true's time to work I really hope he gets in red pro You know, it's his time to work. You know what I mean? Like go to places and work and and go into bigger sort of promotions. It's not a disrespect on purpose. They are a great first step for people and and a a great promotion in their own right. But kind of like Jordan Brakes has took that next step, started working for Pro, I'd love to see Mark True do that because he just gets it. You know, the way he moves, the way he works, his charisma. It's, even in this little spot in a gauntlet match where he's just going to be eliminated relatively quickly. He still comes across as someone who's got a lot of potential. So I'd, I'd just love to see him do more stuff. Um, Harry Sefton was in this. He was really good, but he came back in later on. And there was a wrestler who I don't know. I actually don't know him. And I've never seen him, and he's called James Farrell, and I, I'm going to Google him now on air like a professional, um, I've never known him to be in anything, and basically he, here he is, oh no, he's got a, a pro wrestling wiki, uh, yeah, that's him, the natural athlete, has he got a cage match? Jamie Farrell, has he got a cage? Because I thought, basically did this thing where he stood up and said what the hell is this? Like he was like, what is, is going on here? I booked tickets to see a wrestling show and I'm watching this stupid comedy. He doesn't have a cage match. But I, as he was doing this and he's saying I, I came to watch this stupid comedy I was like yeah, you're right. And what a great gimmick to have, and what a great little story to tell. And he came in the ring and attacked people and was doing this promo, and the crowd are booing him and chat. they say to him, who are you? But who are you? Who are you? And he played it perfectly because he didn't go into this heelish nonsense of saying, I'm Jamie Farrell, and I'm a proper wrestler, and I'm here to do this, that, and the other. He didn't do any of that. He ignored them. He just had this air about him in his turtleneck black sweater that he was better than them. He was such a great promo, you know, to come out and just say, I want to see some wrestling, and I'm a wrestler. I want to see some people being put in holds, and what are you doing with this nonsense? It's, you know, it's it's pathetic. He was basically me on this podcast quite a lot of the time. You know, like when there's a dance-off. Maybe that's why I related to it so much, because that's usually my stance on things. And I love the idea of them having these people like the Chapman Brothers in there and the, you know, Caver and these kind of caricature kind of comedy wrestlers. And then just having this guy who's like, no, I'm a proper wrestler and I'm going to stretch you. I don't know what they're going to do with him. I don't know if he's booked to the next show or anything, but I thought it was such a great idea. I got really, really into it. Now, you know, when you watch a purpose wrestling show that it's going to be the comedy bits. And if you like that, you like that. And I, I think they do it well. But there's always going to be one match on every show that I seem to give four plus stars to. And that's why I keep coming back to them. Because you can go to like a GWF and you can go to a WXW and you can go to a Progress. You can go to a North and all these other promotions that feel bigger. They feel more significant on the scene. And yet you'll watch a match and it'll be a series of three star specials. A show, sorry. It'll be a series of three star specials. Yeah, I know that every time I watch a Purpose match, a Purpose show, I'm going to get a four-star-plus match. And it was this one for this show. Maya Matthews against Sapphire Reed. This match was great. And if you, you know, I know a lot of people who listen to this will just go and watch. When they put on YouTube, they'll go and grab a couple of recommended matches this is the one to watch. I thought this match was great and and you know how you know a match is going to be good right from the start because these little clues and one of my little clues is going straight to a really nasty collar and elbow and that's what they did and these two absolutely battered each other for about fifteen minutes and they were so good at it. You know, just Sapphire Reed just has this great approach. She's just punches and hits and fights. And she goes a little bit too far with the facials every now and then. But, you know, it's the way she wrestles with... Like the pair of them, actually. Wrestle with such maturity. Just a really slow pace and let things breathe, but still battering each other at the same time. You know, the shotgun drop kicks, the German suplex in this... Unbelievable the slapping things. Such a great, great match this. I absolutely loved it. The ending again, I wasn't a fan of this, because basically Sapphire Reed got a foot up on the rope and a mirror pushed a foot off. But it, just, it didn't really work because they were too close to the ropes anyway. And the ref should have been watching for limbs on ropes. So it was one of those things, like we said before, with the uh, Alex Windsor spot. That actually you didn't make your heel look clever. You made your ref look dumb. And that's one of my little pet hates. But I don't think it, it, it ruined this match that much because, like I said, the work was absolutely fantastic. And I love the way they played that bit off at the end as well, that Maya Matthews was like, why were people booing me as I left? I don't get it. And, you know, Sapphire him also said, look, you know, I we had a sporting contest, but you need to know what happened. And that I think that is purpose's signature for me, and that's why I like them. Is that they'll do pro wrestling things, but people will react to them in a real way. Like Sapphire Reed will just go up to Maya Matthews and say, "Look, you. This is this is what your friend did. This is how you won. You pushed my. I had my foot on the rope, and it got pushed off. So even though I might not like the execution of it, I think the idea is still worthwhile and really good. Next up, we had. A bit, uh, utter bizarre match. Uh, Chris Hatch against Michael Oku. Now, the background to this is David Francisco wants a match with Michael Oku, and Oku says, Yes, you can have the match, but I have to lose first to an opponent of my choosing, which was such a weird stipulation. And then when he said Chris Hatch, the referee, it all made sense. Um, and I tweeted when they announced this match. Hatchamania is running wild. And it really was because there was hatchamania flags, hatchamania um T-shirts. Um I tell you what, this match was actually alright. Oku was basically taking bumps on himself, you know, throwing himself himself around the ring, but his selling was unbelievable. You know, there was all sorts of little cokey spots in this because Chris Hatch is, I assume, his wife or his partner or something came out and she's a photographer for the promotion and she, you know, Oku got Chris Hatch, tied him up and said to his wife, get the camera and get a picture. So his wife used the flash in his eyes and and blinded him and he sold it all cartoony and, you know, he was giving himself Canadian destroyers and all that. He was really good fun. Uh, You know, at the end, Oku... um, super kicked his wife, you know, and things like that. Uh but Chris Hatch won as you as you probably expect, he won by count out, um, because Oku got too cocky. So basically you know, it's just you were gonna get the Francisco match now and that, I just thought that was really exciting. Then we had the main event. We had Jordan breaks against Nino Bryant. Now Nino Bryant won this. Um Nino Bryant is very much purpose's guy. You know, they've sort of portrayed him getting fluke wins against people like Ollie Peace and, you know, he's been working his way up and he's been having some really good matches and he's, he's he's very much a purpose wrestler in the sense that you look at him in a promo picture and you think, who is this child, you know, and then he has a match and you have to shut your mouth, you know, because he, he has great, great matches. And this match was, I, I really enjoyed this match. Um I like the fact it's a promotion. They're not afraid to do Babyface versus Babyface as well, which is really cool. And, and Breaks was utterly dominant here, like you'd expect. He did this move at one point. Like, he was doing all his usual submission moves, but he was doing a lot of power moves as well, because he could, you know, because he's Nino Bryant's a lot smaller. And he did this weird kind of boss man slam spin into a neck breaker, a back breaker, sorry, that was brutal. It looked amazing. And Nino Bryant's selling is just... Off the charts. Um, great stuff. You know, Brakes was just battering him all the way through. <laughs> and I like, you know, what I said about making little stories make sense. They really did that here because Jordan Breaks isn't a brutal wrestler. He isn't a malicious wrestler, but he's defending that belt. And he knows to defend that belt, he's got to take it to the next level. And that's the most important thing. And it it really, really... um you know, kind of added to it, made it feel more serious and more important. You know, big styles clashes and, you know, breaks just being able to sell Nino's comebacks really, really well. Um, Nino Bright won and he's the champion now, which is an interesting one. I don't know. I, it didn't feel like he was ready to be champion in kind of his story. I felt like that was something that would have been built up a little bit longer, but I wondered if, you know, Jordan breaks his, his, he's getting a lot more work in places like RevPro, but then he's going to get beat a lot in Rev Pro. so it does kind of make sense to take the belt off him. I, I don't know if it is something like that, or they just want to give Nino Bryant a chance, but either way, I think Nino Bryant has got enough goodwill for me to go along with it. I think he's had a lot of really great matches uh, in, in purpose, and I, I'm, I'm really excited to see what he does. Again, This is another purpose show that I'm recommending that you watch. I think it's as, in terms of show from top to bottom, it's going to be as good as anything you watch in Europe. Uh, I think they're one of the most underrated promotions going. I really do. And every time they do a show, we're always going to review it. Get on the Patreon, get subscribed, get on the YouTube, get watching. Anyway, let's wrap things up. Okay, so our next episode is going to be our last one before AEW All-In weekend. I know we previewed the Copper Box on this show, but we'll have a look through absolutely everything because we should hopefully know a little bit more about All-In in in terms of matches and what's actually going to be going on. Uh, We should know, um, you know, have the Stardom cards announced, these bits and pieces coming out from Progress. So we're going to try and preview as much as we possibly can um, and go through everything we can and, and really give like a bit of a user guide really and preview the weekend because I'm going to be down there myself and we'll talk about if where I'm going to be and if you want to come and meet up or whatever how to get in contact with me and that sort of thing uh, for now I'm going to go and have some more of that mustard cheese because it was absolutely fantastic and I've got some of these olives and I can't remember what they're called but they taste like butter they're absolutely amazing um, don't forget Um, don't bother with Twitter or or whatever it's called now but get in the discord uh, if you go to the voices of wrestling discord there's euro Graps express room i always say this but i absolutely pride myself on having the friendliest discord on the whole server so just come in post your cheese boards and have a chat in there all right have a lovely fortnight and i'll see you in a couple of weeks